And let's turn together to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis 3, it's both uh, in the insert in your service sheets, and it's also found on pages 2 and 3 of your church Bibles, if you have picked up one of those. Uh, Genesis 3, as we continue our series through these early uh, chapters of, of Genesis, we've seen that, that God uh, has, has created everything. Uh, last week we saw that actually he, he created us, humans, uh, in, a, in a unique way. Uh, this morning we see uh, what's, what's happened. You know, uh, Genesis 3, uh, beginning of verse 1, reading through to the end of the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God stands forevermore. 
Well, Genesis 3 explains absolutely everything. I've said often that, that Scripture holds up a mirror to us, but I think Genesis 3 is actually more like uh, a DNA sequencing. It tells us absolute, the absolute fundamentals of, of who we are, of why we are the way that we are. How It, 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 it explains how we're wired as people. It explains why we, we treat one another the way that we do, why we, we view our world in the way that we do. It, it explains war and crime and, and every broken relationship you've ever experienced. It explains why we toil in our work. It explains suffering. It even explains why we sometimes even feel things that are contrary to God's created design for us. If you want to understand why our world is the way that it is, if, if you want to understand why you are the way that you are, then you have to come to grips with, with this passage before us this morning. Again, going back to the, to the original audience of Genesis, the Israelites wandering uh, in the wilderness, this, this passage would explain to them their, their enslavement and their wandering. I want to suggest to us that, that what we see here this morning is, is an explanation of our own enslavement and our own wilderness wanderings. Perhaps you don't think you were enslaved, but in fact we are enslaved. We're enslaved to the evil of our own hearts. And we're wandering a world full of, full of brokenness and sorrow that touches each one of us at some point. Some of you have experienced that already. And some of you have experienced it quite deeply. These are some sobering truths that we have before us. But even amidst the, the brokenness and the falling apart of our world, we find a God who, who created and who's prepared to walk with us through that wilderness. And that's what we see this morning in three points. First of all, our new default setting. Secondly, our longing to be innocent again. And third, the, we see the long road home. So first of all, our, our new default setting. Let's, let's just walk through this, this temptation together for a few minutes and look at, at how this worked. First, remember, remember what God said to, to Adam and Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in chapter 2. Uh, this is what he said in verses 16 through 17. Listen to this carefully. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's a simple law, isn't it? You can eat from, from any tree in the garden that you like, any one that, that tickles your fancy, but, but this one tree, don't eat it. Because if you eat it, you're, you're going to die. It's very clear. It's very simple. It's definitive. The parliament couldn't write uh, a law any clearer than this one. There's no way to take it out of context. Or is there? Now, the serpent would be, would be Satan, the devil. He's, he, and he's a tempter. He can, he can manipulate about anything, can't he? He turns up and he asks Eve, verse 1, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, we all just heard, right? No. As a matter of fact, he, he didn't say that at all. But listen to Eve's response in verse 2. She says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. In fact, God didn't say that either, did he? The difference is subtle, but it's, it's actually important for us to notice, what did Eve add to the law of God? She added a, a law against even touching the fruit. You can actually in that hear 
uh, the legalism creeping in. You know, legalism says this is this is where where uh, the the line that God has commanded us not to cross. And so let's make a, a more arbitrary line further, a little further back, in order to keep from 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 going over the line that God commanded. You can almost imagine at some point perhaps a discussion between Adam and Eve where where they say, let's just not even touch the thing. You know, this idea of not even touching it uh, became a a new law. We'll leave it alone and we'll be all right. Or perhaps this is just how Eve thought about it and and she, she gives it voice here. But the problem with legalism is that it makes us think we're standing on solid ground when in fact we are warping our view of God. When we add to the law of God, we start to think about God differently, don't we? We're not supposed to to eat the fruit. We're not supposed to even touch the fruit. Man, it just gets hard, doesn't it? It just gets hard. God's a tough taskmaster. He just just, uh, has all these rules he expects us to follow. There's there's a lot of us here probably who think Christianity is, is just a religion of rules that you have to follow in order to be right with God. In fact, the law is there to, to point us to our need of God. It's to drive us to God. It's to show us his goodness and his, his, his wonder. We said it last week of, of this first law, that the tree was there to remind them of their need of God, their, their own fragility, their own ignorance, that they, they don't know everything, but they, they have a God who does. And instead, they, they twisted it into something to be utterly feared, that they feared to even touch it, lest this cruel God strike them down. And that's all the entry Satan needed, wasn't it? The second lie he tells us, it's way less subtle, isn't it? It's way more overt. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Did you listen to what he's saying here? He's piggybacking off of their, off of their, their view of God as, as this, this strict taskmaster. What, what happens when you get sick of the rules? We begin to question the goodness of the person making them, don't we? What kind of God would make a rule like this? Satan says, not only will you not die, you'll, you'll actually be free. That was the implied promise, wasn't it? You'll become a God unto yourself. You'll be able to, to challenge God when you know everything he knows, you'll be free. And Eve gives in, doesn't she? She sees in the fruit not the, the promises of the God who, who made her to, to care for her and to, to fulfill her. She sees in the fruit not the, the death promised for rebellion against God. Rather, she sees in the fruit her highest ambition. She sees in it the things she thinks will make her more than what she already is. Eve and, and Adam, for that matter, we, we, you know, Adam is, is silent through the whole thing, isn't he? He's just he's along for the ride, and he, he which is which is in many ways worse. That's why uh, throughout Scripture we're, we're told that that of the guilt of Adam that was was spread to all of us. But Adam and, and Eve they weren't they weren't satisfied with being made in God's image. They wanted to be gods themselves. And what we see in this this first temptation, this this first sin, is actually the the default settings of all our hearts. We're people who want to be free to be our own gods, to be autonomous, 
to have nothing hidden from us, to be in control of our lives. And, and the promise of the fruit is the same promise of, of any temptation in, in our world today, isn't it? We see it in the, the biggest ones, don't we? You know, the, the promise of money is a promise of security, isn't it? To be able to provide for ourselves and our loved ones in a way that, that only God actually could. We think we can, we can earn enough to never let the painful things of this world touch us. In the end, the love of money and the longing for money and the, the fear of losing what we have controls us. Money ends up asking more of us than God has ever asked of us. The promise of wealth is, is an empty promise. We see that in, in the promise of power, don't we? You know, the promise of, of power is a promise that we can, we can control the world around us. That we're able to do whatever we want without limits, without boundaries. We, want to have, we, we might have to, to step on some, some other people along the way, but, but once we get to the top, think how much better we could make the world with all the, with all the power that we accumulate for ourselves. We can make it good again. See, the promise of power is, is a calling to, to subdue the world in a way that man was never intended to, to control it in a way that only, that only God can. Or the promise of sex and sexuality. It's a, it's a desire for intimacy, isn't it? An intimacy that we, we once knew at the beginning, the desire to be naked and unashamed. To feel the wholeness that Adam and Eve would have felt when they were when they were made good. But the promise of sexuality outside of marriage is as God created it to be in, within marriage, between one man and one woman for life, ultimately leaves us naked and unashamed and broken like Adam and Eve. You see how the things that promise us life bring us misery and death, and all because of at the, the heart of every sin is a longing to be free from the God who made us. And that was the heart of this first sin, to be, to be like God, to challenge his authority and his wisdom. Where, where that's left us is really and truly broken in a way that we don't usually want to admit. You know, Adam and Eve didn't achieve their ambition. Rather, they broke the goodness in themselves and in the world around them. It left them and, and everyone who had followed longing to, to be returned back to creation. And that's what we see in our second point this morning. We see our longing to be innocent again. We want to be innocent again, don't we? To get back to the way things were, back to creation. But we, we go about it in all the wrong ways. What happened after the man and woman ate the fruit? This thing that, that held so much promise for, to them. Well, they, they looked and they could see, uh, they, they could see for the first time that, that they were naked. You know, the opposite of what they expected happened. Rather than being made like God, they, were, they, 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 they realized their fragility and their nakedness. And they were ashamed of what they had done. And they were ashamed of who they were. They longed to be innocent again. So what did they do? Well, I think one of the most heartbreaking uh, verses here is verse 7. What did, what did Adam and Eve do? They, in their desperation, they... They went and sewed fig leaves together to try and cover their nakedness. I suspect we can all, on some level, relate to that, can't we? There's things that we've done that, that we don't want anyone else to know about. 
those things that we feel leave us exposed, that leave us vulnerable and ashamed, the things that make us uh, want to hide. I probably don't need to name them for the sake of time. I won't name them all, but, but everyone has a history, don't they? Both a, a real history and an internet history. And we all feel the weight of our personal history, don't we? Those things we don't want anyone to know about. And that's, that's, what, that, that, that's what Adam and Eve experienced for the first time. When they sewed these fig leaves together, they try, were trying to cover their shame. What we see that follows is this, this first sin, this fall is the, the loss of their innocence. The, the disobedience of Adam and Eve fundamentally changed their relationship to one another as well as their relationship to God. Verse 8, they hear God coming. He's, he's walking in the garden, this, this garden that he created for them. It's their garden. And by all appearances, this was a regular practice, that God would, would regularly come and, and make himself at home among them. That should be wonderful, isn't it? shouldn't it? But on this day, it, he turns up, and they're nowhere to be found. And the sense you get as you, as you listen to this, this exchange with them is that, that God knows exactly what's happened. But God graciously and patiently draws it out of them, doesn't he? Look at 9 through 13. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? And then the man, this is, this, is, this is brilliant, isn't it? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Did you hear all that? Did you get it? Did you hear how patiently God uh, and lovingly God uh, got the whole story out of them and yet they refused to take any responsibility for what they'd done? This wasn't repentance. This was a, a fundamental shift in the heart of man, but not in the heart of God. The only thing that's changed was our, our humanity. Instead of relating to God with, a, with an honesty and an innocence, we rebelled and then tried to self-justify. Did you eat of the fruit? Well, yes, but only because this woman that you gave, by the way, you, you gave her to me, offered me the fruit. What was I supposed to do? Well, only because the, this, this serpent over here, this nasty little creature slithering along the ground, tricked me. See, Adam and Eve neglected the real reason. They neglected the heart reason for why they did what they did. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be free. But they let, were left naked and exposed. This was a slap in the face to God, wasn't it? But the heart of God remained constant and steadfast, as did his character. Did you notice that? You know, he, he didn't immediately smite them, did he? He did, he did pass judgment on them and on, on the serpent. The serpent, again, this is Satan. Uh, he would experience the judgment of the Son of Man. You know, this is where we hear redemption immediately following the first sin. The, the, the heel of humanity uh, has been bruised and, and would be bruised at the cross. But ultimately, God is, is greater than this evil and would, would overcome it in his son, Jesus Christ. God's actually incredibly gracious to the man and the woman, isn't he? Now, he could have just said, well, shut it down. Start over again. 
turn them back into dust. But he's actually incredibly gracious to them. You know, we, we think life is really cheap, don't we? You know, this could have been a, a, a simple, you know, just, just poof, back into dust, abort the whole thing. We think it's, you know, God could have done that. But God actually values his people. He values people created in God's, Im- God's image more highly than you and I do. They have to leave the garden. They have to leave the place where, where they experience the presence of God intimately. God cannot uh, allow sin and evil to remain in his perfect presence. Which actually, by the way, is the answer to why, why does uh, God condemn someone for, for a small sin? Now, eating the fruit seems like quite a small sin, doesn't it? And there's all these, quote, small sins that we, that we do, but it, those small sins actually reflect a heart that underlies them. The heart underneath is the real issue, isn't it? This is why we have to really examine our hearts to understand ourselves. We need to see how, how often we, we deceive ourselves and try to blame others for the things that we do, for our own sin. Our little sins are often much bigger than we like to believe. So God sends, God sends Adam and Eve out, doesn't he? He sends them out of the garden into the, the wider world where he warns them that... that uh, they will experience daily hardship. You know, that the woman will experience pain in childbirth and, and her part in filling the earth. You know, that, was, that was the command God gave them, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Well, filling the earth has just gotten harder. It's gotten way more painful. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it three times. It's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. The man will struggle in order to, to feed his family. You know, the job of, of subduing the earth has gotten harder. He's going to have to deal with thorns and thistles. He's going to have to deal with heat and humidity. And on top of all that, the, the marital relationship between the two is going to feel at times unnatural. It's going to get really hard. The marital bond is, is still central to creation, but, but like creation, they are entering their, their, their relationships going to be, be marked by strife. The, the desire is going to be for the woman to control the husband, but he's going to rule over her. This complementary relationship has gotten harder, but it hasn't been overruled. You know, marriage, in, in, in many ways, won't solve our problems. It's going to create new ones for us. Our, our relationships are, are often hard and broken, and our biggest problem is that we try to cover our sins with fig leaves, even in our marriages. Marriage is hard. But there's actually hope here, isn't there? And we see that in our, our last point this morning, the long road home. So the Lord God sends Adam and Eve out into the wilderness, away from, from the intimacy of his presence. But he doesn't leave them completely alone. Before he sent them him out, God, God covers their nakedness, doesn't he? Verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And it's a lot's been made about this as a, as a picture of redemption, which I think is probably true. You know, the, the skins required sacrifice, and they're, they're a picture of Christ. But I think they're also just as, as much a, a picture of, of God's common grace, of God's common grace to us. Clothes reveal, the, the clothing reveals the, the heart of God for mankind as they're sent out into this barren world. You know, they've, they've made a hash of, of fixing things themselves. 
And so God provides for them and for this real need that presented itself to cover their nakedness. They could still trust God to provide, even in the wilderness. And that's remarkable when you stop to think about it. The heart and the character of God hasn't changed. And his sovereignty over creation hasn't changed. God graciously covers their nakedness and provides for them. And they could, they could trust him to provide even amidst the wilderness of the wider world. It's gotten harder, but God is not absent. They could trust in, in the seasons. They could trust in rainfall and, and in seeds germinating and, in, and sprouting up and, and fruit and veg being provided for. They could still look to God and, and the world he created for their provision. But there's a deeper grace here. As God sends them out into, into the world, out of the garden, he's made a promise. And he made the promise actually back to the serpent, didn't he? This, this embodiment of evil in the world, that, that he's going to crush the head of evil. That he's going to rid the world of, of, of evil. And, and God has a long memory, doesn't he? And he always keeps his promises. This is where we find ourselves. We're, we're still in the wilderness, aren't we? We're living off the, the common grace of God and his provision for us. We're still struggling in our rebellion. And we'll struggle with it and, and suffer under the results of the fall uh, until our dying day or Christ returns. But we have an even greater hope than Adam and Eve on that day that they were sent out of the garden. You see, in the New Testament, it looks back on this, this incident. And what we're told is that that a, a second Adam came. And that second Adam was, was tempted in every way as the first Adam. And he's tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. Yet he did not sin. We're told the second Adam suffered the punishment that, that the first Adam was promised for his sin. Death. The second Adam didn't remain in death. He, he rose again, conquering death for all those who are found in him. You see, there's Adam, and then there's the second Adam, who's Christ Jesus. Christ came to do exactly what God had promised the serpent he would do, that he would crush his head. Death came through Adam, but life came through Christ. And the, the wonder and the beauty of that, the wonder of that, that good news, that gospel, is that if we, if we turn to the second Adam, by faith, if we come repenting of our sins, then all of our sins are washed away in his blood. And the, the wonder of the gospel is that, that we, can, we can have intimacy with God again. That we can, can come before him as his children, a, adopted in Christ. And all of our shame is taken away. You see, when God sent the, the man and woman out of the garden, he was, he was placing them on the long road home. Not back to the garden, but, but through this world of brokenness and sin and sorrow to the Savior who's making all things new. See, God's way is forward and his calling on us as his people is to, to let him be our guide and our peace and our salvation on the journey. The beauty of, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is the deep truth of salvation that we, that we actually confessed together just a few weeks ago when we used a, a bit from the Scottish Confession. You probably don't even remember it. I, I should have put it in again today. But it said that everything that was lost in the first Adam at the fall, Christ can repay and restore to us. You said those words a couple weeks ago. You may not even remember it. But that's the truth that we confess together. That everything that was lost in Adam, Christ can repay and restore to us. And that is the promise that has echoed through our world. And that's the promise that we will lay claim to in eternity. Let us pray.